Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. We are in a series called Consider Him. Uh, and, and I'll set it up like this. I, I'll try to set it up as many times as possible like this, and you're going to be really annoyed of me saying it. But really early on in my marriage, I realized how selfish I was, um, really selfish. And I started realizing all my wife wants is to just be thought of in the small places. Like she just wants to be considered and heard. And so I coined this phrase, I'm going to consider Kate today. I'm going to consider Kate today. When I go to the store, I'm going to consider Kate. When, I, when I'm on driving on my own, I'm going to consider Kate. What would she think? I mean, I need to put my phone down while I'm driving because I'm considering Kate. And she always says, put your phone down, Greg. So I'm going to consider Kate. But as we got into this more and more, like I began to realize as I get to know Christ, he really says, consider me, Greg. In all things, please consider me. Consider my thoughts, how I think, what I want, where I go, what I speak of. Consider who I'm loving. Please consider how I'm loving them. Consider me. And so there's this passage in scripture in Hebrews 12 where it says, consider him who endured such hostility so that we might not lose heart. A lot of the losing of heart comes because we're in a situation and not considering him in it. So we started this series from now until Easter. I don't know why I said now like that. Now! That was weird. I make fun of myself. It just happens. I heard it echo, and I was like, who is that? From now until Easter, we're going to be considering him. Trekking through scripture, the gospels, from uh, his early life all the way to the resurrection, and really asking, okay, God, if you did this, Jesus, if you were real, how can we take the character that you have, and you were displaying, and you were loving, and you were using, how do we take that character and consider it in all things? how you responded, who you responded to. And so if you were with us last week, we dove into when Jesus was tempted. He was tested in the wilderness. If you were not with us, please listen to that podcast. Like, listen in. You can find, like, write the Glory Podcast if you're an Apple user, or you can write glorychurchkc.com and find our messages. Dive into it with us. It was from Matthew chapter 4, and really, like, how do we consider him in the plan? Because I told you last week, not every plan that your mind hears is made up from your own heart, right? Some of those plans that your mind hears are from the enemy, from the world, from the flesh. And so let's consider him in every plan that our thought process, our minds begin to formulate. And so that was last week. But as we dive into this week, there's a story that happens very quick in in chapter 4 of Luke. Almost three stories back uh, from this temptations uh, of Jesus come this moment when Jesus decides to come back home. He decides, I'm going to go back to Nazareth. They've heard of some of the things. By this time, there's already been some miracles. They've, they've heard of, of, this, of this wedding miracle where water was turned into wine. They've heard of the things that Jesus can do. And so he goes back home. I don't have any intro other than that for you because we're just going to dive right into it. Sound good? So open up to Matthew, uh, that's a lie, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, He was born and raised, right? Born in Bethlehem, brought to Nazareth, you know. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him to read. And he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He says to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I'll just let you know right now, this, he says the spirit of the Lord, he's, he's reading, but also speaking. And have you ever sent someone do that? Like they're reading it, but they're also speaking it with authority. This is the moment. The spirit has anointed me. He has assigned me to bring good news. He has sent me. He has given me this purpose to bring the good news to the poor, to proclaim a release of the captives, the sight of the blind. And it's beautiful. Verse 20 says, he rolls up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant 
and he sits down. It says, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixated, were fixed on him. And then he began to say this to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? The The story continues, though, because he said to them, doubtless... As in he knew there was some doubt in the room. Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here in your hometown the things that we have heard that you've done in Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in, his, in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, Jesus says, there were many widows. He he starts, he's bringing up kings, the story of Elijah and Elisha. And he says, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up. And for three years and six months, there was a severe famine over the land. There were many widows. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers, he says, in Israel at the same time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed. None of them except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. Scriptures say that they got up. They drove him out of the town. They led him to the bro, the edge of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them, and went on his way. This is the story that we're diving in, and I need you to be present with me in this because the word of the Lord will speak to you. He is. He's going to speak to you, but it's interesting, though. They led him out of town. They were so angry. It's interesting. The law of Moses dictates that if someone is a false prophet, you have the legal right to kill them, and so Jesus being a false prophet, okay, he's claiming these things. All right, we are going to kill him. His own family, friends, the people who knew him as a little baby Jesus, who bandaged his wounds and, and, you know, little child care at synagogue, kill him. He's a false prophet. Push him off. It's interesting, though, what happened here? What happened in the synagogue? If you want to take a note, just write this. Jesus came in proclaiming revival, but instead the people revolted. This is what I want to speak into. That Jesus is coming and saying, I'm about to do something in your presence. And instead of hearing, seeing, wondering, wanting, something else grew up. And they revolted. Now, we often, like, separate ourselves from this story, but I'm going to encourage us the whole time. Like, they came, uh, the very presence of the fulfillment of God's anointing. Like, they were in the very presence of him. But yet, their hearts did not step into the revival. Their hearts flooded with a revolt. I often think that, like, we read this story And I put myself on the outside saying, how could they do that? But you know the old saying, like, familiarity breeds contempt? The more familiar you are with something, the less extraordinary it begins to be. That you start taking for granted the beauty of it. You start taking for granted the things that it can happen, that that can be done, because you just know it. And you think you know it. Even those who've been married in the, in the room for 12 plus years, we don't know our spouse fully yet. Like, you just don't know. But contempt can come as familiarity sets in, and they knew Jesus. They thought they had this idea of who he was, and now the issues are, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, we've heard you do a lot of things in other places. Why aren't you doing it for us? Are you going to do it? Are you going to prove yourself? Are you going to prove yourself? I wrote this down like, I've heard that you can do a lot, God, but what I know is contrary. So where's the a lot? And that's the issue. Like, I'll just speak very plainly to you. Your background and your experience has experienced a lot of who Jesus is. But there are many things that he says that are contrary to that. Right? You have 
a background of thinking that he's a harsh God. Maybe you have a background of thinking that he's a distant God. Maybe you have a background thinking that he, he is a punishing God, uh, that, that he, he doesn't see you. But whatever it is, your experience thus forward, now when he speaks, you will box him in. And no matter what he's done, no matter what he does outside, you always and I always will see it from the perspective that I've had of him thus far. And that will spur up some revolt in my heart. It really will. Until it's dealt with, it will spur up revolt. And it's interesting, though, because then he speaks their doubts out loud, and he uses these two famous prophets, Elijah and Elisha, literally what he was saying in this moment. He's comparing himself to prophets, the most high prophets, and he was comparing them to the fallen Israelites who gave their life to Baal during the time of the prophet Elijah. Literally, he is comparing the reason Elijah had to go out in the famine. We know the stories. They knew the stories. is because the people of God disobeyed Yahweh, brought the famine, only followed this pagan God. And so the only woman who longed was this random widow. And so literally, he's calling them idolaters. Rage floods in their heart. Anger sets in deep. This confusion that was before now is anger, disdain, and he, this poisoning of their worship now like attacks them. And I think this morning, like if we allow ourselves, and I just, I really need, if we allow ourselves, I'm going to ask you to do this, all of us, if we can take ourselves off of the high horse of saying, I would never treat Jesus with contempt, if we would take ourselves off that high horse of saying, I would never treat Jesus with contempt and actually set ourselves in Nazareth with him, I think we would realize that there is a lot that stirs up in our heart as Jesus speaks that in our presence, things are being fulfilled. What if he said in your presence, healing is being fulfilled? Some of you would be like, no, where? I don't see it. In your presence, in my presence, in your presence right now, peace is fulfilled. Some of your hearts would be like, no, I don't feel it. Where? In your presence right now, there's a fulfillment of the blind can have sight. There's healings. The, the, the captives can be released. Some of you are like, but where is it? Notice if we got off our high horse, there are claims of who Jesus is and who he is now that our hearts don't believe. And maybe you would never lead him off of a, um, a cliff, but there's a lot of other things. In fact, like I, I've been really aware of this ugly fruit of sin that's been very familiar with us, but we also don't call it that distrust, disbelief, this uh, maybe even like disassociated faith. I have this faith over here who loves Jesus, but I also have these doubts that I just push aside. And see, it doesn't really like, I don't, they're not present right now. They're not present right now. But if Jesus was present, he would sp probably speak against the very things that aren't present in your life right now. That fear of childhood or that distrust in his goodness or that, that, that longing that he actually does care and, and, and see and approve of you as his son, his daughter, all of those doubts that are pushed, the presence of Jesus would start stirring them up, and you would revolt. I actually wrote this. The point isn't that they hated Jesus. That's not the point. It's not that they just all of a sudden were like, he's a false prophet. The issue didn't start there. The point was that Jesus came in proclaiming revival, but their doubts, their distrust in who he was led them to revolt. That's the point, because I know I believe Jesus is speaking revival into your hearts. But some of you have sin identities that are more in line with the world than they are with Scripture. And so when he actually speaks revival into your heart, you're going to revolt. This is why so many people in church are sitting in the moment it gets hard and their sin struggles start getting known, they leave. Why do they revolt? 
because Jesus spoke the truth. And the truth, it sets some free. It sets some free. But it also is like a foul smell to those living in darkness. This is the issue. The rich young ruler, what does one have to do to get freedom? They, you have to give up everything and come follow me. That truth set in, revolt happened. And he walks away sad. It happens again and again. It is evident that the Holy Spirit has been provided, like proclaiming revival in our nation. Like on Thursday, finally, that the revival seemed to, to end at Asbury. But it's been going on and, and on and on. It's evident that the Holy Spirit has been preaching, proclaiming revival in our nation. It's evident in our church that he's been proclaiming revival as we went through the Breakthrough Series. Like things are happening. Healings are happening. Redemption. Uh, three salvations happened on Wednesday uh, at our food pantry. Like things are happening. It is evident that the Holy Spirit is speaking revival. But there are still places, places in our heart that revolt. And I think we can easily choose to sit in this Nazareth synagogue this morning and we could gain understanding. Because though you would never revolt in hatred like them, you would say that, I would never do that. I want to read this clearly because you do, like them, have areas in your heart that revolt in lesser shades of disgust to this point. You ready? Sure, you don't say, Jesus, I'm going to lead you off of a cliff. But the word of the Lord does come to you. And from the hill that your false identity is built on, you want to toss it down. I'm going to say that, sure, you're not living in the town of Nazareth. And so angry at what he spoke, you bring him up to the hill that your town was built on and throw him off. Sure, you're not doing that. But what we do do is when the, the word of the Lord comes to us and it hits that place, that, that fear, that distrust, that, that disassociation, he's calling us to integrity, he's calling us to be one with him. When that happens, we do stand on the hill that our false identity has been built on, and we want to do this with the word of God. We, it's not for me. I, don't, I can't handle it right now. I don't want to do it. And can we just all agree, like, who is the word of, the God, like, word of God made flesh? Jesus. You say you would never push him off? I push him off every day. He tries to convict my heart, and I turn away. I try to push him off of a cliff of my own false identity every day where he tries to speak another way and I say no. Or I say, I don't want to think about it. Or I say, I I'll just put on some music so I don't feel it. You are leading the Messiah to a mountain. And the issue, the issue is you wish you had that kind of power to silence him. But I love this. Like that verse says, uh, verse 30, but he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. I've always wondered, what does that mean? Like, how? How did he do it? Like, how did he do it? They're angry. They're going to throw him off. And then he just leaps in their midst and goes on his way. And I, I really enjoy this because I think that I have the power that my identity that is false has the power to silence God's word in my life. And so I think I'm going to shove it down, but it doesn't. It endures. And what I'm experiencing, sadly, is that the fulfillment of God's presence was here. The fulfillment of God's anointing was here. And then it just passes through my midst. And he goes his own way. He tries again later. How many times have you let the Spirit of God that has tried to fall fresh on us? How many times have you let him pass in your midst? Because you wanted to put that thought, that truth, that conviction aside. Can I just tell you, it's not, it is scary. Let me se separate. It is scary on this side of confession to live according to the word of the Lord. 
But when we step into it, it is freeing. But on the outside, it looks so scary. I'm going to tell you, we have created this dichotomy in our church of people who are normal believers and then people who are the faithful believers. And for some reason, we think that that can exist. And that's not true. There are believers who when push comes to shove are believers. And then there's normal believers who when push comes to shove want to shove Jesus off of a cliff. Those are the two. And that is why, like, I, I just, we always ask, like, there's a core group of, of Glory Church and, that have been with us since the beginning. But we also have many stories of people who just tried to do what they do at every church here, where they just sit in the back, where they just coast, where they just think they, they can, through osmosis, gain the glory of the Lord. That they think through osmosis they can gain the truth, the peace, the hope, with no involvement to them. And it's really interesting, no matter what we speak, they push the word of the Lord off of a cliff. And there's a big difference. There's not normal Christians and then the faithful Christians. There are the faithful Christians and the world. There are sheeps and there are sheeps. There are sheep and there are wolves, right? There are sheep and there are wolves. Or we could also say the goats, right? Jesus talks endlessly about this, that there are many who think they know. But when the word of the Lord speaks, there's some who bow, and there's some who are ready to fight at first. They want to speak their opinion first before they submit. You know what I mean? Like, this happens all the time. Your heart still does it. Jesus speaks, and you want to speak your opinion before you submit. But listen, he passed through the midst and went on his way. I think we need to consider Jesus. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to wrap it up in one word. Okay, we need to consider him in the common. All right, that's the way I'm going to word it, in the common. What do I mean by that? Nazareth people have made Jesus the man very common in their life. They knew of everyday life could not fit with this idea that Jesus could be more than he was in their mind. You have built up in a box. It might be beautiful. You might have prettied it up. You might have made it so no one asks you the questions that are difficult. You, you have boxed him in. And the, con, the common in your life are the places where you actually doubt him the most. They are. If you want to write that, like, it is the common where our deepest disbelief resides. It is when you are washing dishes at home. And it just sets in deep. Is this ever going to change? Am I ever going to change? No one sees you because, goodness, if they saw you, it wouldn't be common anymore, right? You would have to put on that, that, that display. But it's in the common places that the deepest belief, disbeliefs, they start residing, they start living, they start rising. But it's the common places that we need to start considering him. It's in the common places that we need to start speaking. I wrote this, that there's a reason why everyone's common is different. There is a reason. That's the number one thing the enemy wants to say. Your experience is different than your experience, which is different than your experience, which is different than your experience. So it's okay if we all experience Jesus differently. And Jesus says, no, I died so that you would experience me fully and communally. You're not experiencing me differently than another. You're experiencing me fully. But we, we, we have, uh, the enemy has made this common life very different, and then it's isolated, then we're secluded, then we should love him more. Why is he doing all these things for other people and not for me? Why is he healing Capernaum and he's not healing us? Why, I know, I know someone who is lame. Why did he heal a paralytic in Capernaum? 
Why isn't he doing it here? And as it sets in, our commonplaces begin to be the very things, the tools that we fight with, the tools that we fight with. And if I can speak to you, uh, it's common where we make statements like, this will just always be this way, or it will never be, or I know he can, but he just hasn't. Why hasn't he? It's in the common where we say, I know he says that, but it just must not be for me. I just have never seen it. Some of you, the Bible says that with the coming of the Holy Spirit will be signs and wonders. And some of you are like, well, since I've never seen it, I guess I just, I'm one of those common Christians and the faithful ones have the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm just a common Christian. And because I've never seen it, it must not be real. And it's in our common daily life that our deep-seated insecurities reside. If I could just hear your voice, God, and he's like, I'm speaking but in my common, you've already expected that I can't speak. So your expectation of me not speaking is actually hurting the voice that I do have in your common. Does this make sense? Like, it's like we're doing this. God, speak to me. Speak. Speak to me. Right? Like, it's like we're covering our ears saying, God, speak, and wondering why he isn't. Because you've already expected. I walk with my ears closed. That's just how I do it. I have to do it because people hurt me too much, and I have to walk with my ears closed. They've spoken mean things over me. People have hurt me with their voice. So I just, I have to walk with my ears closed. That's my common. We have to realize that it's in the common where we make these matter-of-fact assessments of God. Isn't he just Joseph's son? And the enemy knows what he's doing. If you want to write this, the fullness of God will never fit in the box made by our common. It won't, which should be exciting. It should be exciting. It should not come as a negative, but the enemy uses it for his plans and and for his ways very often. I should always expect God to destroy the box that I've made for him. To be able to set this expectation, these parameters, but also know that he will widen it. And instantly, the oceans will part. Like the sea will part. And instantly, the walls will fall. Like I, I need to believe that the fullness of God who fills all things in all ways, which is this church also, his people will never fit into the box we've made for them. God's people will not fit in the box that you've made for them because the spirit of God is in them. And so we literally squash, quench the Holy Spirit when we believe that it's just not for me. And then he speaks these things and things start following It's interesting, though, like, I want to read this story again. He says, it says, he rolls up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. And scripture says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then verse 22 happens. Can we just sit with how weird this is? All spoke well of him. And were amazed. They were amazed at how gracious, at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Jesus told them that he had the anointing to uh, give sight to the blind, which literally means to give understanding to those who are without it. At the very same time that all of those who thought they could see, but they had no understanding and were blind, they were, quote-unquote, amazed at him. Their eyes were fixated all in him. It says, all spoke well. That sounds pretty good if you ask me. All spoke well. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They spoke well about him. They were amazed. It seems good. It seems pretty innocent that good things are are coming. Like, that'll preach, right? What if we just ended this story there? All spoke well of him. I never want to be a pastor 
where people just all speak well of me and are amazed at my gracious words. If someone only speaks well of someone and they're amazed at these gracious words, can I just tell you how outward that is? That means they don't know me. If someone is just speaking well of someone, that means they don't really know them. But if you begin speaking, the people, and I make, Christy makes fun of me all the time. Christy is, is someone who's been with us uh, since she moved here. Her and her husband moved here. She's beginning to start talking like me and things, and it's really funny, or like responding to something as I would do it, and she just gets really insecure, and I'm like, no, like, that's literally where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, please only take the good things, okay? Don't, don't do the bad things I do. But what ends up happening, she can't just speak well of me. Now she speaks knowing me. Like, that's the issue. We don't just speak well of Jesus. He wants us to speak knowing him. And there's a, there's a different level. We're not an outside writing an autobiography or a biography of Jesus. We are now in the fold speaking that which we know to be true. There's this difference. We're not amazed at his gracious words. We have his gracious words. And it's like this complete difference. It sounds really good. It does sound really good. But I also know too many people who just want the amazing words of a pastor and to never be changed by the amazing words of a savior. Like I, there's too many people who just really have really good things to say about Glory Church, and I'm shocked by it all the time because I'm like, but why are you living in sin? I just love that church. They're so amazing, and they speak well, good things. I'm like, then where's your life change? It doesn't make sense to me. It's because verse 22 leads to the revolt. It always does. Speaking well of the Savior as if you're outside the fold, speaking well of the things of God, talking about how good worship sounded, but you were not in worship? Speaking like how gracious the words were, but you weren't speaking the words? It will always lead Till when the push comes to shove, you're out. You're out. And this is what Nazareth did. It looks, it looks very innocent, but it's not. It's because, like, when our comment, I think this is our first response that our flesh has when the comment is met with Jesus, we like it until he starts challenging us. And then we're like, oh, now you're speaking on that? Now you want that? Yeah, I do. I want your whole self. I don't just have gracious words. I have grace that deeps, that goes deep and wide, that, that sets in, that actually from you can come beauty and life. I love it, though, because I, Jesus does not just want them to speak well of him. He wants them, uh, I, I just imagine this new kid. You remember growing up when the new kid came? You didn't know the new kid, but everyone thought the new kid. You remember when she came in, boys? Everyone thought the new kid was just so pretty, right? You don't even know her, but you just, like, want to know her. You remember the, the new boy came in? and He was playing on the football team, and you remember him growing up, right? The new kid came in instantly. You have nothing but well things to think about him because it's new. But when it sets in, you're like, oh, that's not good. That's going to challenge me. That's not, oh, that affects me. And then people are going to have to come off of the identity that their life has made and found, like, and give themselves to the Savior to make something new. Like, ooh, that's, that's a lot more. There are too many, though, in our American church who have that relationship with God and his word. It's very outward without ever diving into it. And then they never yield when the revolt comes up. They never yield to the Savior when the revolt starts happening in their hearts. We can sit with our common and with our well words and amazement, but that's not what he wants. So I did a few hours, like literally an hour or two study at this word amazed. 
Um, I don't know why, but it just kept coming. This word amazed is the, the word uh, thaumazo or thaumazo. You, you can, I don't know. That's as good as I'm going to say it. There you go. It's the word amazed. And I don't know why, but when you're reading scripture, be very intentional about the words that stand out to you. All right, that's just a fun piece. I love the word of God. For some reason, this word amazed kept standing out, and I didn't know why. I didn't know why. So I started, what does this word mean? Where else is it used in scripture? The word amazed literally means this. Uh, It means to be in wonder, to be astonished, to be surprised, to be shocked. Yet it often yields this confusion or dismay. To be amazed. Our Christian pop culture lately has just said like, let's be in wonder of the Lord. Let's be in wonder. But the word here actually like, you don't want to be in wonder of him. Because your confusion of him will lead you to dismay. And, and so the word is used 33 times in the Gospels. Did you know only one time is it followed up with something good? Only one time. Where it says the people were amazed that this paralyzed man was lowered through the roof and healed. Luke says the people were amazed and they glorified God. Every other time it is used in the Gospels, it is negative. It is negative. Like quite literally, like it led me to realize that amazement simply stirs up what is already underneath the surface. Like amazement, wow, wonder simply stirs up what is already underneath the surface. It does. It's used in Acts twice in a good way. Luke writes Acts, and Luke also wrote Luke. Um, and I think it was, he used it three times in a really good way. Everyone else, the disciples saw Jesus say, peace be still. The word says they were amazed and they said this, who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? And he looks to them and rebukes them for their little faith. The disciples were amazed when Jesus gave care to the little children and he rebukes them for their shock. The disciples were amazed as he cares for the sinful woman. They were surprised, they were shocked, and he rebukes them for their disbelief. Time and time again, actually, three times in John, this is another fun thing, Jesus actually says, do not be shocked when I say this knowing that what he's about to say is going to lead people into amazement, wonder. He doesn't want that. Do not be shocked when I say this, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. Do not be shocked, Jesus says, when the world persecutes you, when they hate you. Because your amazement, your wonder, your shocking will always lead you to criticism, to doubt, to disbelief, to distrust, amazement, just to let you know it's okay, but amazement and confusion are humbly so the proof of our little faith. It is okay that you get shocked that God works. It is not okay for you to always stay there. It's okay that you got shocked, amazed, confused by why he would heal someone and not, not your mom. That's mine, right? I've seen him heal people. I've heard of it. It is, it is okay for me to be confused in awe that he can do healings, but wonder why he's not doing it in my hometown. But to stay there in that confusion will lead me to revolt. It will. It is okay to be confused But listen to this, there's this nasty little thing. Adam and Eve, they were not shocked by the sound of the Lord walking until they sinned. And now, anytime he does something, they're shocked. They're surprised. This word, confusion, if it remains, and here's some D words, some of you who like, you know, like alliteration, here you go. It will lead our doubt to despair, that despair to distrust, that distrust to distaste, and then distaste, to disdain. I mean, goodness, disdain all the way to disgust. You're like, how could they hate Jesus like that? Sure, you're not hating Jesus, but you literally are clenching up your heart 
when he speaks the truth of him. Because your distrust has led you all the way to distaste. That tastes bad. And that distaste will lead you one day to disgust. That how can he see her and not me? She has committed adultery and yet she gets that blessing? What about me? You see what I mean? Ugh. He had an addiction, just got over it and is healed now? Why, why can't my porn addiction be healed, God? It's like, do you hear that your amazement, confusion is leading you to disgust? You're not even trusting the one who can overcome it. It's interesting, though, uh, this word amazement might not be the best thing, but something that God is wanting us to grow into. Here's another word for you, the word hope. Can you write that down, the word hope? I don't have the Greek word for you, but the Greek word, if I could tell you what it means, it means this, the confidence, assurance, with this expectation that he's going to do something. God does not want you to walk around being shocked when he shows up. He wants you to walk around hoping that he will show up, knowing that he will show up with this confident expectation, even in the blind, even in the things that I can't see, you will do it. That is what he wants. It's okay that you're shocked, but beloved, he needs you to hope in your commonplace. He needs you to have hope, this expectation that he will move, that he is moving. Or else that disgust will come. That disdain will happen. It's interesting. I thought of this analogy. Here's another one. You know when you're in a dark room and the lights turn on and you're shocked? The experience that happens is because you previously understood the opposite. And then it happens and you're amazed. It's okay that you're amazed when God moves, but it's also proof that you are accustomed to the opposite. But when we are in the light, a brighter light just is even prettier. And then a brighter light is even prettier. It's something to expect. I expect the light when I'm in the light. But the reason it's shocking is because my life is dark. So then the question you can ask yourself is, okay, God, what parts of my heart has darkness in it? So that when your word brings light, I'm shocked. I will cringe a bit. Where I say you can have all of me, but this part of me? Ah. We need hope. I was reading an old journal, and I'm about to end. I am. I went way longer than I thought, so hopefully the Lord is speaking, okay? Uh, you could just say this if he's not, and I'll, I'll just wrap this up. But I found an old journal this week. Uh, I was cleaning out our basement, and I found a journal that I wrote in like 10 years ago. That's always like gold when I find it. I'm like, what was Greg thinking? Like, I'm excited. So I'm reading it, and I did start realizing that for a solid two months, and I would date these things, uh, I need to get back into journaling so in 10 years I can look at my journals. Uh, but for a solid two months, I was praying for hope. I, just, I don't know what, I don't remember the, the full weight of emotions, but I just kept praying for hope. God, will you give me hope that you're moving? Will you, and I just kept happening, like hope, hope. Every page I was praying for hope. And one day, one day, it was the last time I saw hope, I accidentally wrote I pray from hope. And I, I know I accidentally, because right underneath it, I wrote an arrow and I said, Holy Spirit, I tried to write for, and my mind wrote from. I guess I need to pray from hope. And it shifted. Does that mean? Ooh. Whoa. 
It ended the cycle of me praying for hope, and I began praying from hope, and something shifted in my heart, because I'm not going to be amazed by what you do, God. I will worship you. I will be in all of your splendor and glory. I will be amazed and glorify, but I will not just be confused. I expect you to move. I expect you to move in great ways. And so as we wrap up, there's one moment in Acts where it says it in a good way. This is going to help you when you are amazed, what do you do next? It's when Stephen is about to be stoned. (laughs) He's about to be stoned, and he gives the story of the Israelites. And he's about to weave in how the Messiah came. And he says this part, and he says, now for 40 years had, had passed. This is Moses. He's talking about the Moses. An angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. And verse 31 says, when Moses saw it, he was shocked, confused, in awe, wondered at the sight. Yet as he approached to look, there came a voice of the Lord. I'm literally going to use these two verses to explain what you do when you're amazed. You ready? This literally, he was amazed So he approached to look. That word, that word approached and looked means that he stooped low and gave careful consideration. What would Nazareth have looked like if Jesus said, in your presence, there is fulfillment of this? And they stooped low to give careful consideration. When you're amazed at something, why is he moving here but not here? I'm going to stoop low. I'm going to give careful consideration. I'm going to look carefully. I'm going to look intently at him. Look at the posture change. This isn't Moses confused and revolting. This is Moses knowing God is at work, so he comes in closer and stoops lower. When you're confused... All I got for you is ask, what posture am I having in this confusion? Do I need to get lower? Do I need to be humbled? What posture am I having? Do I need to come in and give careful consideration to his words? The answer is yes. And it is then that there came a voice of the Lord, a commissioning. In this place right now, I believe the Lord has been trying to speak to you. But I need you to follow suit with Moses. Yeah, I get it's 1130 and some of your bellies are rumbling. I get it's 1130. But if if a whole amount of college students can for days sit in the presence of the Lord, I think you can pause on lunch to actually say, God, if I'm honest, you're not in a lot of my common life. And if I'm honest, I know the word of the Lord says to bring in the lost, yet we have to rely in a great way. I'm very thankful. We have to rely on our eldest person in our church, our oldest, to do the, the, the speaking of God's glory, to raise people from the dead. You have to let those people work. Like quite literally, Miss, Miss Randy was used by God and three people came to Christ. Do we need to let the oldest in our church do the work as if she's the one in the fold and you are out here in this ordinary life? I don't talk about God. Or are we going to realize when I'm confused at why things like that are not happening in my life, I stoop down low and I give it careful consideration. Like honestly, we all have the mouthpiece of the Lord. We all have the, th- the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. He has not just anointed Jesus, but then from Jesus came the anointing to us as people to proclaim the good news to the poor. 
He has sent us to release the captives, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim a year of God's favor, right? To say to those who are, are bound, be free. But if that's not in your common, stoop low. Give it careful consideration so that you'll hear him say, take off your shoes, you arrogant man. You're in the presence of the mighty God. Feel, feel my presence. Take it off. Hear me. Jesus, in this place right now, you are asking your men and women to take off that false understanding. The things that they've been walking with, standing in, those common places that I remember when you asked me and I began to speak, I was so insecure when I was a first preaching. And I remember the day when I walked on stage and I did not wear shoes. It helped me be present to feel the ground under my feet. To know that you saw me and you were with me. God, let us stoop low in the common. We are not above you. We need to hear you. So God, if I can't from on high, I will change my posture. There are many in this place, if I could just speak this. You keep waiting for the Lord to change you so that you will hear him. And you're not realizing that when the sun shines, the plants bend to him. So if the sun is shining in this place, you don't wait for him to hear. You bend to him. You bend to him. You point to him. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.